Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 653 with Dr. Ellen Reed. Ellen shares some super simple practices that you could use to build mental toughness, self-confidence, to get ahead of stress, pressure, underperformance. It's so much good stuff. So you'll learn, one, the biological reason why we underperform. Two, three simple questions to build your mental toughness. And three, how to beat stress in just 60 seconds. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash F653. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of our cool stuff, such as the ability to search the full text transcript of every episode when you click the little magnifying glass, as well as the opportunity to zoom in on the episode that's just right for you based upon the topic or subtopic we're going after or the specific corn fairy competency that we cover. So many a great way to find the best episode that fits your needs, whether it's the latest episode right now or one that was one, two, three, even four years old. My, how the time flies. Good stuff at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's good stuff about Ellen. Dr. Ellen Reed has been a top performance coach for more than 10 years, working with Dr. Jason Selk. In addition to helping others reach high levels of success, she has a well-established career as a professional dancer. With her background in academia and the performing arts, she helps athletes, students, and business leaders reach their peak performance by developing mental toughness. Dr. Reed earned her PhD in experimental psychology with a focus on memory and cognition from St. Louis University. Big thanks to Ellen for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here is Ellen. Ellen, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, me too. Me too. Well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom, talking about relentless solution focus, train your mind to conquer stress, pressure, and underperformance. I love so many of those words. (laughs) Uh, So I think uh, you're right up our alley. So maybe first, could you tee us off with a, a cool story? So... You and your colleague have been using relentless solution focus to help athletes win Super Bowls, gold medals, national championships. Like, can you tell us a cool story uh, with a particular athlete and how this stuff made the difference for him? Yeah. Well, you know, a big part of what I do is, uh, you know, helping people perform at their best. 
athletes have really kind of this opportunity to kind of show us how these mental tools can play out kind of in their arena. But, you know, really what we do on a daily basis and what, you know, the listeners do on a daily basis is probably so much more important than what the athletes are doing, (laughs) you know. And these fundamentals were developed by my colleague, Dr. Jason Self. And you're absolutely right that they were developed originally for athletes and teaching athletes how to focus on the right things, especially when the wrong things, you know, wanted to be swirling through their minds. So when a basketball player is at the free throw line with, you know, one second left and they're down by two, right? All those thoughts that want to swirl through your mind and all that pressure, you know, how do you deal with that? So, Jason Selk, who is the co-author on our book, Relentless Solution Focus, he, his first book was called 10-Minute Toughness, and it was geared towards athletes. And in this book, he detailed a mental workout for athletes to do to really help train their minds, be prepared for high-pressure situations. And people started picking up this book and applying these fundamentals to their own lives in business, in the relationships, you know, whether it be um, a business person, a doctor, a a stay-at-home mom, and really started to find that these fundamentals that really help athletes play to their peak potential really had almost better results with with us regular people, right? (laughs) So, and, you know, Jason, he started as the director of sports psychology for the St. Louis Cardinals in, uh, I think it was 2006, where they had not won a World Series. And I I might need to fact check check this, but (laughs) they had not won a World Series in, I think, over 20 years. And the year he started with them, they won the World Series and they won the World Series again, I think six years later. Again, I may fact check this. I may be a couple years off on this. And Jason spent, gosh, 20 plus years really studying highly successful people and studying and paying attention to kind of the common threads that these people that have accomplished great things and people who are happiest in life, you know, what about them stands out? What about them kind of sets them apart? And what he noticed is that, you know, it's really their ability to stay focused on solutions especially in the face of adversity, you know, whether that be an athlete standing at that free throw line, you know, with with two seconds left down by two, you know, being able to keep their mind focused on what I need to be doing in this moment to, to improve or to succeed versus the pressure is on and we're down by this much and all of those thoughts and I've got to make these shots, right? All of those thoughts that are really normal that swirl through our minds on a daily basis. So relentless solution focus is essentially a method of training our brains to be able to stay focused on solutions and improvements when it's really normal for us to want to focus on problems. 
Okay, cool. Well, and so that, that sounds very, very useful and powerful for professionals who their brains can go, myself included, uh, our brains can go in all kinds of places that uh, are, are not super helpful in, in terms. So I, I'm afraid, thank you for me. It's like, uh, oh, I feel tired. I feel stressed. I feel overwhelmed. I am annoyed um, at fill in the blank. So yeah, there's all kinds of thoughts going on up in there. And I imagine some are helpful, some are not. So walk us through it. How do we get our brains to do what we want them to do? And maybe first, what do we want them to be doing? Right, right. I love that example. And I think that those thoughts that you're kind of talking about that are normal for you, I think we can all really relate to. You know, how many times do you wake up and think, oh, I'm so tired? Right. And then it's easy to carry that into the next hour and think, gosh, I'm so tired today. I'm so tired today. I'm so tired today. Right. And the more we focus on things, the bigger they get in our minds. There's a theory called expectancy theory that states that that which we focus on expands. And those examples that you just gave are such a great testament to that. When you focus on the fact that you're tired or when you focus on the fact that you're annoyed by something that your spouse has done, you know, those things get bigger in our minds. And when you pair that with this what's called problem-centric thought where it's normal for our brains to focus on problems first and foremost. You know, we're, we're, we're built this way. This is part of our DNA, you know, and if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective. So it was really important that we were very quickly able to pinpoint and recognize the problems and threats and shortcomings in our environments. And so that problem-centric thought was really essential to our survival. But now, you know, statistically, this is the safest time to be alive. You know, even with everything going on in the world right now with COVID and, you know, it's still the safest time to be alive. And so this problem-centric thought that really set us up well, you know, years and years and years and years and years ago, now really just causes us to underperform. It causes us undue stress. It's unhealthy for us. And so how do we, how do we get around that? Right. That's your question. What do we do? Because we know that we're, we're wired to focus on problems. And we also know that the more we focus on problems, the bigger they get. And so relentless solution focus is essentially a concrete method of training your brain to become abnormal. Mental toughness really is abnormal because it's normal to be driving home from work and having done 99 things right that day and one thing less than perfect. But then on that drive home from work, you're focused on that one imperfection. That's normal. What's abnormal is to be driving home from work and thinking, hey, what's one thing I want to do just a little bit better tomorrow? Or what three things did I do well today? Right? Can you imagine how great life would be if that would that was what you were thinking on your way home from work instead of hampering on that one imperfection? And so the point is that this requires training because it's not going to happen for most of us naturally. You know, every once in a while, I think there's somebody that's kind of born with this 
amazing mental toughness and this amazing kind of uncanny ability to stay focused on solutions. You know, I certainly was not one of those few that was born with it. For the rest of us, right, we can learn to be solution focused. And RSF, Relentless Solution Focus, is the polar opposite of that PCT. So, The training aspect of this is critical. And we have a couple of tools outlined in the book. And I'd love to be able to teach everybody at least one of the tools today. And this tool that I'd love to teach everybody is called the success log. The success log is composed of, for our purposes, three questions. In the book, we've, it's a little bit exp- extended because we talk about some goal setting in there. But for our purposes, if you can get a start on these three questions, you're going to experience some re- really dramatic results. And that first question, just ask you, what three things did I do well today? What three things did I do well in the last 24 hours? So it's forcing your brain to think about and focus on some of the little things you've done well. When remember, your brain wants to be focused on what you feel like you screwed up that day. So that's the first question. And the second question is, what's one thing I want to improve tomorrow? What's one thing I want to improve in the next 24 hours? So keeping your focus on making small incremental improvements instead of, hey, what did I screw up today? Again, that's where our brain wants to go. And then the third question is, what's one thing I can do that could help make that improvement? one thing I can do that can help make that improvement. So let's say that Let's say that today you got really behind on emails. And so the one thing you want to improve tomorrow is you want to catch up. You want to clean out your inbox. You want to catch up on emails. That's where most people stop. And most people are pretty good at identifying, hey, what do I want to do better? Or what do I want to improve the next day? But most people won't take this critical next step to identify something concrete you can do to bring about that improvement. So then you might say, the improvement you want to make is to clean out your inbox. What's one thing I can do that could help make that improvement? Maybe you say, okay, I'm going to block out from 10 to 10.30 on my calendar to go through emails. Or I'm going to set my alarm for five minutes earlier so I can get into the office five minutes earlier and work through emails. It doesn't matter so much what you come up with to make these improvements, what matters and what's important is that you're training your brain to be searching for improvements. And you're really taking advantage of the brain's ability to change and mold itself through training. It's called neuroplasticity. And, you know, probably learned about it in school. And it's really important. And I think anyone that thinks, you know, I'm just not motivated or I'm just not, you know, a morning person or I'm just not good at math or I'm just not you fill in the blank, right? We're really good at labeling ourselves as lacking certain things, but you're failing to recognize that you have the ability to change your brain through training. What fires together, wires together. So using the success log and filling out that success log on a daily basis starts to cause those positive thoughts and those productive courses of thoughts to wire together. 
So it's a really, really useful tool that I would encourage everybody listening to this. Just try to answer those three questions, you know, three, four times a week. And you don't need to spend more than a minute or two on it. And for three things I've done well, I guess that's interesting. As we talk about being positive and journaling, I'm thinking about like gratitude. Three things I've done well is, is, is a different prompt than three things I'm grateful for. Can you maybe give us some, some examples because I guess there could be like a Venn diagram overlap there. You know, like some things are both. Yes, absolutely. But others are uniquely. Uh, so I'll just put you on the spot, Ellen. Can we hear your success log from today or yesterday? <laughs> so how about I'll do, I'll do my success log for today right now. All righty. Because usually I would do it about the end of the day and it's about that time. So three things I did well today. I snuggled with my boys this morning for a little bit of extra time before we all got ready and went off to school and work. I sent out an email to someone that I wanted to follow up with about getting their thoughts on the book. And number three, I got my headphones ready for this podcast today. (laughs) And one thing I want to improve tomorrow... Let's see. I want to make sure that I get my mental workout done before I go to rehearsal. So today I was a little bit late getting out the door. And so I had to do my mental workout kind of on lunch break. But I want to make sure I can get it done before rehearsal. And the one thing I can do to make that improvement is I'm going to write myself a post-it note. And I'm going to stick it on my dashboard to say, don't leave before doing your mental workout. I'm going to get it done in the car on my way to rehearsal. Okay. Thank you. So that took what, about 45 seconds? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was quick. Let me go back to your, your point and your question about kind of the um, three things I'm grateful for versus three things I've done well. I think if you're in the habit of every day identifying three things you're grateful for, I think that's awesome. And I would absolutely keep doing that. I think that's awesome. I think that, you know, that really promotes that positive thinking. And, and and I think that's really important for our soul. Now, there's an added element to the success log that I think is really important that I want to talk about. And that is developing self-confidence. Now, self-confidence, scientifically speaking, is the number one variable for performance. It's the number one variable for performance. So empirically speaking, there is nothing you can do that's more important for affecting your performance than developing your self-confidence. Now, remember PCT, problem-centric thought. We're really good at honing in on our imperfections or where we feel like we fall short, which is a disaster for our self-confidence. And so if you can get in the habit every day of identifying just three things you did well, three little things you did well, you know, search for the small. I spent like five or 10 minutes snuggling with my boys this morning, right? When it's really easy for me to be kind of rushing around in the morning to, to get out the door. They don't have to be huge, but identifying the little things you're doing well on a consistent basis really promotes 
that self-confidence. And, and I think it's easy to blow this off and it's easy to kind of shrug it off as being kind of soft, you know, like, you know, it's, it doesn't necessarily sound very tough (laughs) to take that time to develop your self-confidence, but I want to be really clear that there's really nothing more mentally tough than being able to identify some things you've done well when you've just lost a game or when you've just lost a deal or when you've had a bad day at work. That is mental toughness. It's being able to get your mind focused on what you're doing well and what you want to improve because that's going to make you perform better in the future. You know, being hard on ourselves and really beating ourselves up for mistakes is a big, big factor in people underperforming to their potential. Uh-huh. Well, and I'm curious then, we talk about three things I've done well. Should we kind of keep it broad, like in, in any and all domains of life? Yeah. Or is it preferable to to focus it in terms of one dimension or another? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. And the best option is to just get it done, right? Instead of trying to get it done perfectly. And I think it's a really important thing to point out is that you don't have to do these success logs perfectly, right? Getting them done is so much more important than getting them done perfectly. You know, if one day you're sitting there for two minutes trying to come up with something you want to improve for the next day, just stop and put it away and then come back and start a new success log the next day. It's the consistency of forcing your thoughts onto what you're doing well and forcing your thoughts on searching for improvements that really works to rewire the brain. And remember, that's the key here. That's the key is working on retraining, rewiring the way our neurons are firing together. Okay. Well, so so that's one approach. But there's so much I want to ask about. Okay, maybe we'll hit this. You say it's key to remember 60 seconds. What do you mean by that? Yes. Okay, great question. So what we talk about is you want to really recognize that you're focused on a problem and be able to come up with a potential solution within 60 seconds. And why this is so crucial, it's important to understand the biology behind it, okay? I won't bore bore you guys with a ton of the details of the biology behind it, but I think it's important to understand a little bit of it so that you really understand why this is so important and why this is so effective. So when you are faced with a problem, or when you're faced with kind of thinking about something that you messed up or something that you feel like you're lacking in life, that sends a message to your body to feel a certain way, right? To experience negative emotion. And I want you to think of negative emotion as really a wonderful gift, (laughs) a gift that tells you what you're focused on because you don't feel anything without your brain telling you to. Your body does not feel any emotion without your brain telling you how to feel. So if I'm focused on a problem in my life, I'm going to feel like garbage, right? I'm going to feel stressed. I'm going to feel frustrated. I'm going to feel nervous. I'm going to feel worried. Whatever it is, whatever that feeling is, you're going to feel like garbage. And that is your signal that your brain is focused on a problem. Now, 
What happens when we're focused on a problem and we're feeling these negative emotions is that our brain sends a message to our body to release cortisol, the stress hormone. And we're all probably a little bit familiar with the effects of cortisol. Now, in small doses, cortisol is actually helpful for performance. You know, it kind of gets us going. But now, you know, people are walking around with really elevated levels of cortisol because of this problem-centric thought. And, you know, even at moderate doses, cortisol really wreaks havoc on our health and on our happiness. It causes us to feel like garbage, but it really increases our propensity for a lot of diseases. It limits our creativity. It significantly limits our intelligence. And again, because of this problem-centric thought that, evolutionarily speaking, doesn't really do much for us anymore— our cortisol levels for most normal people are really elevated to the point where it's creating a lot of, you know, unhealthy people and a lot of miserable people. And so being able to recognize that you're focused on a problem within 60 seconds gets you ahead of that cortisol release. Okay. And so this is why that 60 seconds is so important. Now, Let me tell you, though, what you do within that 60 seconds, because I think it's easy to say, oh, you know, just recognize your focus on a problem and start thinking about solutions, right? We all probably know that it's good to think about solutions and that it's good to be positive and it's good to be optimistic. But I think people have a harder time with understanding how to do that because we haven't really been taught how to do that. And so I challenge everybody out there to write this down. Write down this question. It's called the RSF tool, the Relentless Solution Focus Tool. And the RSF tool is a question. The question is, what is one thing I can do that could make this better? One thing I can do that could make this better. So when you catch yourself focused on a problem, when you catch yourself feeling any negative emotion whatsoever, you're feeling stressed, that's your cue that you're focused on a problem. And that's your signal to ask yourself, what's one thing I can do that could make this better? You ask and answer that question within 60 seconds and you've just beat that cortisol release. Okay, that's cool. And and so then... I'm curious, Ellen, not to be a downer or super difficult, but um, <laughs> what happens when there's just not a solution? Great question. Your your parents are, are, are dying of a degenerative illness, et cetera. Like, it just sucks. And um, there's not much you can do. Um, but you feel lousy because you're in an environment that sucks. What do you recommend we do there? Yeah, that's a great question. And... We've got to redefine the way we think of solutions, okay? So I think kind of the traditional definition of solution is complete resolution to the problem, right? But it's really important that we're really clear about how we define solution. And the way we define solution is any improvement whatsoever to the current situation, even if that means improving the way you deal with the situation. So, I mean, I think that's a, that's a great example that a lot of people are, are going through, right? You know, I, I, I work with, you know, in my other 
in my other life, <laughs> I'm a professional dancer. So I spend the first half of my day in dance class and rehearsals, and then the second half of my day coaching others. But our outreach for the dance company is in senior living facilities. And, you know, we do a little performance, you know, we're not doing them now, obviously, because of COVID, which has been really sad. But we go into a lot of memory care units with with older adults who have dementia or Alzheimer's. And we do like a little 45 minute show and we use music that's from their era. And it's just amazing to see a lot of these residents who, you know, their caregivers will tell us, gosh, you know, this person hasn't spoken in a week. And, you know, after the performance, we couldn't get them to stop talking. Or we'll go up to the residents afterwards and kind of try to talk to them for a little bit. And they'll tell us about, oh, you know, that reminds me of my grandchildren who I used to go to their dance recitals. And my husband and I used to go dancing all the time. And, you know, it conjures up all these emotions and these memories. And it's really amazing to see. Now, I completely got off on a tangent there. (laughs) But I think the point that I want to make with this is that we've got to search for anything we can do to improve our situation. And, you know, maybe in your specific example, you know, maybe there is, there is nothing we can do, you know, with a parent who is, you know, let's say suffering from Alzheimer's, but what's one thing you can do to make their day a little bit better? Or what's one thing you can do to help yourself emotionally deal with watching them and, and, and caring for them? And, you know, this isn't, this isn't a one-time question that you answer. This is something that you have to be relentless about. You know, you may ask yourself this question 50,000 times a day. Because just because you come up with one answer to the question doesn't mean that that's going to solve your problem, right? We're searching for the small We're searching for anything we can do that will improve our current situation or improve the way we're able to deal with a situation by one. Because remember expectancy theory, that which you focus on expands. And when you're focused on, you know, all the the sadness and the, you know, the, I mean, that's a really, really hard thing to watch someone that you love, you know, go through dementia and Alzheimer's. And that can really consume a person to watch that. But when you search for the small, you know, kind of going back to what you said, you search for, you know, what you're, what you're grateful for, you know, those moments of seeing that spark or, you know, thinking about the memories or whatever it is that turns your focus onto something positive. Again, and go back to the biology of it, you know, when you're, you can get ahead of that cortisol release and you can prevent yourself from going down what we call the PCT tornado, you know, where you get going on a negative train of thought and a problem centric thinking, and it becomes really hard to climb out of. But as soon as you can turn that around into one thing you can do that can make this minute a little bit better or make this minute a little bit better for someone else. You've turned, you've stopped that tornado from going down and you can start that momentum going in the other direction. Well, and and I want to get your take, Ellen, if there's any skeptics in the house. Uh, we had um, 
I've had a couple guests just very fond of the the poem by Rumi about uh, the guest house. I don't think I could cite it or recite it, but about the notion that each of our emotions is the guest which has something valuable to offer and we should allow them to to enter and remain until they until they exit or others who have said uh, you said that which um we focus on expands expands mm-hmm. I, i've also heard it said that which we resist persists so so how do we reconcile or, or work with the idea of 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 avoidance or running away from negative feelings and how does that square with what we're talking about here? Okay, I love that you asked that because I think probably a lot of other people are thinking the same thing. And one thing that's important to understand is that this isn't about running from your emotions or resisting your emotions or turning a blind eye to the problems in your life. It's about being able to get to solutions faster and really it's about being able to look at your problems with much more accurately focused lenses. It's important to recognize our emotions. And I think people have become so afraid of negative emotion. You know, we do everything to try to avoid negative emotion. You know, we, we, we run from it. You know, we take medicine to not have to feel negative emotion when really, again, you know, negative emotion is given to us as a gift and we need to be able to recognize why we're experiencing these emotions so that we can start to get to work on it, right? Start to move in the direction of what can I do to make this better? Because what happens is that we get so consumed with the problem that oftentimes we don't even get to the solution. Pick up any newspaper, you know, or watch any news show, and you just see how focused the world is on problems. And it is so important to be able to recognize the problem. And in fact, we have in the Relentless Solution Focus book, We have this broken up into three steps, three steps to developing this relentless solution focus. And the first step is to recognize you've got to recognize when you're focused on a problem, because a lot of times people will feel a negative emotion and then they'll try to put a bandaid over it or try to, like you said, kind of resist it. And meanwhile, this problem is still swirling around in their minds, but they haven't done anything to be able to move move forward with it or figure out what to do about it. And so that first step is to recognize that negative emotion because remember negative emotion is there to tell us that we're focused on something that we can't control or we're focused on a problem. And so it's so much more efficient to focus on what you can control or to focus on the solution by asking yourself, what's one thing I can do to make this better? You know, if everybody in our world right now was asking themselves, you know, what's one thing I can do that can make this a little bit better? You know, just imagine, imagine, you know, what kind of a world that would be. And we can do it. We can train ourselves to think like that, even though it's normal to want to really get consumed with the problems and spend so much time focused on the problem that we never take that step towards a solution. We can learn to do that. We can learn to become more solution focused. Okay. Oh, and so then... You've also, you mentioned the mental workout a couple times. Have we 
cover that or is that something else we should talk about? So that's something else. That's something else. That's the another tool that we outline in the book. So the first tool again was that success log that I told you those three questions. And then the mental workout is a tool that's designed to help you visualize and keep your focus on what you want out of life and then to practice in your mind what you need to do on a daily basis in order to get there. So in the book, we talk about something called the framework of achievement, where we walk the readers through how to develop basically a vision for what they want out of life in the long term, what they want out of life in the short term. So within the next year. And that's really important because you've got to know where you want to go, right? Or you really have 0% chance of getting there. And I think so many people kind of avoid this question because it seems like such a big question that they're afraid to get it wrong, right? Like where, where do I want to see myself? What do I want out of life? But we really challenge people to just get a start on it. You know, just spend a little bit of time and we walk you through it really specifically, really concretely. It's not scary, right? And just get a start on it. You don't have to get it perfect, but you want to avoid a holding pattern at all costs. You know, get a start on that vision and then modify it along the way. But it's important that you know where you want to go so that you're motivated to do the things on a daily basis that are going to get you there. So we establish that vision, but then the really important piece of this is establishing what, what we call the integrity piece of the framework. And by the integrity piece of the framework, we mean what it takes on a daily basis in order to achieve that vision. What are the most important daily activities for you to be doing that are going to get you to that vision in the short term and then in the long term? So for example, if you, let's say you're a, let's say you're in sales and you're, your goal is to increase your sales from a million to 1.1 million in the next fiscal year. And you've identified that the most important thing for you to do on a daily basis that's going to put you in the best possible position to achieve that is to make 10 prospect phone calls every day. So what you're going to do in your mental workout is you're going to visualize who you want to be and what you want your life to be in the long term, so three to five years down the road, but then you're going to visualize yourself doing those things that you need to be doing in the upcoming day in order to get there. So you're going to practice and rehearse and visualize making those prospect phone calls or putting in the effort and with the intensity that you want and that you need to achieve what you want to achieve. So it's really a targeted mental tool that helps you practice what you want out of life and prepares you for what you need to be doing in order to get there. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of my favorite quotes is by coach John Wooden. And John Wooden is one of the winningest coaches of all time. One of the quotes that really sticks with us and we talk about a lot in our coaching is that it's the little things done well on a consistent basis that cause greatness. 
the little things done well on a consistent basis that cause greatness. You know, I think most of us know what we should be doing on a daily basis that's going to put us in a great position to get to where we want to go, but we have a hard time executing those most important things. And let me give you one more quote, because I think this is a good, a good one in conjunction with Coach Wooden's quote. And this is a quote from Jason Selk's, one of his, his books, I think it's Executive Toughness, where he says that highly successful people never get everything done in a day, but they always get the most important things done each and every day. So you don't have to get everything done in a day, but you've got to get the most important things done. All right. And could you share with us a favorite book? Ooh, this is probably not what you would expect me to say, but I love interior design and organizing and all of this stuff. And there's a book called The Home Edit, and they're actually a company and they do organizing and, you know, they're kind of taking the world by storm right now. The Home Edit, and they basically teach you how to organize. They teach you how to organize your drawers, your closet, your garage. But, you know, when I go through this book and I look at all of their amazing, beautiful, inspiring pictures of these beautifully organized drawers and closets, (laughs) it just reminds me in kind of a strange way of what we try to do for our clients. And, you know, they basically teach you how to Get rid of all the stuff that doesn't serve you, right? Get rid of all the noise. Get rid of all the the extra stuff that we don't need and that holds us back. And really prioritize what's important and make sure you have it prioritized and organized in a way that you can execute it and that it's functional for you. And so... I know it's kind of a weird, a weird response. Oh no, that's great. I've, it, it, they do great work. But I, I love, I love that book, and I love kind of what it re- represents for people's lives. And I think it's like a, a different way of packaging, kind of exactly what we do for our clients. Uh-huh. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with clients? You hear them quote it back to you frequently. I think it's probably, I would say, the importance of self confidence. I think that's where. You know, everybody that we work with, one of the first things that we are going to teach them is the success log. And the beauty of it, and this is what, again, really kind of drew me to Jason's fundamentals and Jason's perspective, is that it's so simple. And one of the simplest things you can do is to really start working on your self-confidence through the success log. And so I think the nugget that probably comes back the most is gosh, you know, the success log is really making a difference and it really, you know, affects the way I go throughout the rest of my day. And just taking that one or two minutes to identify what I'm doing well and what what I want to improve, you know, really fuels so much performance and success and happiness in people. Great. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, you can go to RelentlessSolutionFocus.com, and that'll take you to some really great resources. Um, There's also more information about Jason and myself at JasonSelk.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? 
my challenge would be to pick one thing from this that maybe stuck with you. Maybe it was the success log or maybe it was that RSF tool. What's one thing I can do that could make this better? And pick one thing and work on starting to implement that one thing. Don't try to do it all. Pick one thing, whether it be the success log or that RSF tool or something else that you heard that maybe resonated with you. But try to just start implementing that one thing with consistency. All right. Ellen, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you lots of luck in your your dancing and your in your coaching adventures. Thank you. It was so fun to be here. You know, I took Ellen up on those practices and actually did them. And what was intriguing is I I kind of thought, oh, if I'm already listing three things I'm grateful for, then I guess I'm kind of covered. So I don't need to write three things that I did well today. And we discussed in the interview itself, as, as you may recall, hey, there's probably a Venn diagram with some things overlapping and some being uniquely one versus the other. You know, thing I'm grateful for versus thing I did well today because I thought isn't often the thing I'm grateful for, the thing I did well today. But in fact, I found, in my own experience at least, the answer is no. The majority of the times I am writing stuff down that I'm grateful for, it is sort of external things that happened to me. Things I hoped would come to be, it came to be, or hoped would not come to be, did not come to be. Or just sort of, just moments of grace or like surprise, like, oh, that was such an adorable thing my child did. And I had no control over that. That's not something I did well. And and it was pretty rare that they were one and the same. Like, I'm grateful that I rocked out on this thing. <laughs> Those showed up here and there, but they weren't the most common. And, and sure enough, the effects are different. In my own experience, data point of one, the, the gratitudes are great for, as Sean Acor of the Happiness Advantage would suggest, getting your brain trained to notice great stuff you could be grateful for. And the things that you did well today, as Dr. Ellen Reed would say, indeed uh, helped me feel like, hey, you know what? I am kicking some butt. All right. You know, you've got that confidence. And so those are different exercises with different effects and relatively little Venn diagram overlap, I found in my own experience. So I recommend you give it a try. But heck, while you've got a journal and a pen in hand and you're listing things, it might take one two minutes to list either one of those. So double it up two to four minutes and you you get a double dose. You got an oomph associated with the confidence and some oomph associated with the gratitude. That's just a great way to start or continue the day. So great stuff from Ellen. Again, those show notes, transcripts, links to items we've referenced are found at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP653. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. 
Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.